Hey, it's me, Gavin Crawford. Every week, I'll quiz comedians about the headlines. Do you worry about kids being exposed to drag? I grew up going to see men in dresses singing every Sunday and we had to give them money, okay? <laughs> I wish they were singing show tunes and had some makeup on their hair done, right? It would have been way better. If the news has you screaming into the void, we can help with that. Because news is available on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. So Netflix is the biggest streaming platform in the world, and when they make moves, it is worth paying attention. But lately, the moves have been unexpected. They're paying billions for live wrestling. They're making it harder to watch without ads. Today on the podcast, is Netflix reinventing itself as cable? I'm Alameen Abdul Mahmoud. This is Commotion. I think maybe the place to start is here. My grandfather, my dad, they never would have thought that something like this would happen. In that, I was able to sit at this table now, and that is a table that they helped build. When it comes to Netflix, I'm excited about it too. 52 weeks live. That's a lot of rock raising the eyebrow every week for Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> That is Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock, a.k.a. Can You Smell What The Rock Is Cooking? You know, the people's eyebrow, that guy. He's talking about one of the biggest media deals of the year so far. If you've not heard of it, starting next year, Netflix is going all in on wrestling. It's going to be the new home for WWE Raw and all things WWE in the U.S. and in Canada. This is a big deal, and the reason it's a big deal is because this is a 10-year commitment worth about $5 billion. Monday Night Raw, I cannot express to you how popular that show is. It is the flagship show for WWE, and this deal means that for the first time, the very crown jewel of WWE will not be on cable television. At the same time, Netflix has also cut its cheapest no-ad plan in Canada. There's a lot going on here, and it feels like the right time to look at Netflix's place in the streaming wars and the moves they've been making. Marlon Palmer is here. Stacey Lee Kong is here. Jackson Weaver is here. Marlon, Stacey, Jackson, welcome to the show, everybody. How's it going? Hey. Hello. Let's do this. We have a lot of wrestling to talk about. Not actual wrestling, just streaming (laughs) wrestling to talk about. Uh, Maybe, Jackson, I'll start with you. Netflix is the new home of all things WWE. In Canada, including Raw. We've seen Netflix make a lot of significant moves over the last little while. How big of a move is this one for you? I mean, one, it's a huge move. You just you mentioned the money and you mentioned, you know, a very different sort of programming that they're going after. So that's yeah. a, an interesting thing in and of itself. But I think, and I think we're gonna get into this a little bit more when everyone else gets their own chance to lob their own opinion. But yeah. it's such like a different sort of move. We yeah. saw them, you know, from the outset, Netflix is the number one streamer. They're the ones kind of progenitors of this whole world we're living in now and how we get media. But they've always been investing in ways to try and make themselves, you know, the auteur place. They wanna get like Roma up there, they wanna get like these big fancy films that everyone wants to see because they get all the Oscar nominations. But like uh, a couple days ago, a week ago, whatever it was, we saw them get technically the most nominations of any streamer. Disney technically got 20, but like it's searchlight and stuff. They don't, doesn't really count. Netflix got 18. They're the auteurs. They make the good things, but this is more like going after the people and it's a hard left turn for Netflix, but any streamer at all. And I think it kind of represents a huge, huge change in 
what we're going to see on all these streaming platforms. Yeah, Stacey, to give people context, you know, the TV rights for WWE before this were going for about $250 million a year. Uh, Netflix said, we want them for 10 and we're going to pay double, which is why this deal is five billion, uh, five, worth $5 billion over a total of 10 years. What was your reaction when you heard that Netflix is going to, you know, go all in on wrestling? So as a non-wrestling fan, but someone it. who, like, <laughs> I don't know, I feel like I need to admit my biases on the top. Wrestling but, <laughs> No, okay, why? Why are we going to go so dramatic? I just mean I am not personally watching Raw every week, but yeah. I know lots of people who are. Like, sure. this audience, not to, I really don't think we can downplay how huge this audience is. Like, there's this, I was Googling, obviously, because what else, what else am I going to do? Yes. Um, there's a survey that that was done last year that was released that year last year that found that the number of Americans age eight and up who identify as WWE fans hit 89.9 million in 2022, which is up from its previous high of 85.1 million in 2021. Have you heard of 89.1 million people doing anything like what? Like that one specific thing. One specific thing in our like non monoculture world and it's multi-generational and like all of these things. So from a business perspective, yeah, I think I get Netflix's branding as this like space for high art. Yeah. But Netflix also has all sorts of insane things on their platform all the time. There's like 17 million dating shows. So I actually think from a business <laughs> perspective, this makes a lot of sense. Like how many love islands could you possibly have? Right. Mm. At that's, least seven. It turns least. out, hey, turns out an infinite number. More. The limit does not exist actually. Marlon, no. Can we like aim for something higher? <laughs> Marlon, can you smell when Netflix is cooking? I could definitely smell what it's cooking. It's it's cooking a resurgence. Uh, you know, <laughs> they, they've been losing money. You know, mm. Netflix with the original programming and uh, diving into that s- space, they lost a lot of money. And in 2022, I'm pretty sure that was like the first time they experienced like a loss in subscribers as well. Yeah. So this is definitely something that's going to up their subscriber base. It's a smart move to go for WWE first. Because it's only like second to the NFL in terms of like sports viewership, right? And when you when you're talking about bringing people in to watch WWE, yeah, they're gonna watch Raw. But now I'm also scrolling on your page. I can see another show that might pique my interest. Yeah. And now I'm putting somebody else onto that show. So I think uh, it's the smartest move they've made in a long time. They've already dived into the live. Uh, space already with Chris Rock. They they're talking about bringing in Formula One. So, yeah, I think it's a great move. Although they did that uh, live Love Is Blind um, special, hey, that was a disaster. and that was oh, a complete a disaster. Beautiful storm, a beautiful storm. <laughs> that was, yeah. I, I, that's that was the first thing that came to mind. Stacey is like, can Netflix handle the infrastructure of broadcasting something live? You know what I mean? Okay, yo, I don't know, but do you know how many people were talking about Love Is Blind? Like the the special. The, earned media that you you can't pay for that can't. you can't pay for that even if something goes terribly resi- wrong yes yeah like i'm resistant to this idea of thinking of tech founders and tech companies as like geniuses i often think that just plays into everything that's wrong with our society slash capitalism but whatever yeah. but aside from that i do think this worked that worked out very well for them even though it was also a fail sometimes mm. i guess that sometimes there really is no such thing as bad publicity jackson we got to talk about the pivot here, because like this feels like such a significant pivot. You mentioned Roma earlier. Like Netflix has been for maybe like five, six years, uh, maybe longer than maybe like ten years or so. The platform that is giving um, auteurs, 
artists oh. some money and saying, here's $200 million, go make your movie, we'll put it out on Netflix, and we'll get some Oscar oh. nominations. It's going to give us this kind of validation. And then oh. is this hard pivot. They acquire the rights to WWE, and it feels like a cable television move. Like, this is something that a channel on cable would do, which is interesting because when you consider the streaming platforms, Netflix has kind of been positioned as the antithesis of what cable does. So what do you think, what do you think about the direction Netflix is trying to head in here? I mean, Netflix is, I, this is not a compliment, by the way, but Netflix is just ahead of the game once again. This is not a good thing because we're going <laughs> to, okay. the All game right. is not always aimed in a good place. But I mean, they started out as I was saying, they're the first ones to do this and they kind of got, you know, crowded up by all these other streamers coming in. Now they're like, you know, the auteur house, they got the most nominations. And now Apple and Amazon trying to catch up, they pledged a billion dollars every year in 12 to 15 theatrical releases from Amazon. They're trying to get into that space. Yeah. But Netflix is like, this isn't useful anymore. We got all the respect, we got all the popularity, and we're looking in our coffers, and we ran out of money with <laughs> Stranger Things. We spent yeah. too much money on all these great things. A Best Picture nomination uh, does not give you money. Not that's not, not always as necessarily much the money, case. especially yeah. when you're not theatrical. Which streamers hate going into theatrical releases. I mean, we saw Scarlett Johansson sue Disney. We saw right yeah. now Doug Lyman is trashing Amazon for not releasing um, Roadhouse, which is coming out theatrically. He's he's boycotting South by Southwest. Yes, um, Netflix just dropped monkey man which now went to theatrical release and everyone loves it luca soul turning red back in theaters because they can get, didn't get the streaming release they hate going theatrical they're realizing you know all this really cool um auteur release stuff is nice on the resume but not great in the budget so their film head or their original head uh scott stuper just left saying that they're not going for this original stuff anymore they're going yeah. for what people are watching and that is wwe and like turn left also amazon's going full on not full on but huge into nascar they're and the nfl yeah and the nfl 2025 yeah. uh, a third of all nascar races are going to be streamed online nfl is going stream the things that people actually watch they're like okay we feel legitimate now and we don't really care anymore now we just want money and i think they're the first ones that are going to do it and I think everyone's going to follow. And again, Netflix is ahead of the game. I don't really like the game, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't either. I mean, like Marlon, this is a frustrating thing to me. Is that when Netflix came out, it comes out and positions itself as like we are different than cable. This is an entirely yeah. different kind of offering. This feels like how you consume stuff on the internet. This feels like a new revolution. Cut to this development um, over the last couple of weeks, which is that they've ended their basic ad-free plan in Canada and the UK. So now commercial-free plans are going to start at sixteen ninety-nine, but you can get Netflix with ads for $5.99, which is to say, after 10 years of pushing the game on streaming, Netflix has gone and reinvented cable again. Like, that's that's really like, like hey, it turns out television, pretty good machine for making money this whole time. Yeah, well, we should have learned from music, right? Mm. Music streaming kind of showed us what would <laughs> what would be to come because we're seeing the same uh, artist gripes that were happening pre-streaming are happening now more frequently probably than pre-streaming. Yes. And on top of that, you have like <laughs> you, you're you're gonna bring down you're gonna get rid of the ad option at a certain rate, but then the cheaper one 
with the ads is just going to make up for that rate anyway. Yes, so exactly. yeah. it's one of those ones where they tried to reinvent the wheel and what, realized the wheel was fine the way it was. In terms of making money. <laughs> like, but, we don't need a square wheel. The way we've been doing things for decades, it sometimes works. It seems to be <laughs> no working way. in terms of at least surviving, right? In terms of at least in, like, yeah. in terms of bringing money, Stacy, because exactly. it felt like audiences were looking for something that is different than cable for cable. You pay a really large amount of money for a lot of channels that you don't necessarily want and they kind of force you to take some of the channels that you don't want with the channels that you do want um right. but netflix kind of realizing well i was gonna say like netflix kind of realizing well we, we don't have to follow that exact model to extract money from people are you a little disappointed stacy in the fact that like we've kind of just arrived at like basically television again in a way Yes, it's annoying. It's yeah. like when tech bros are like, oh, look, I, I invented this cool thing where I'm going to get a big vehicle and it's going to drive around and pick lots of people up. Like, that's the bus. It's not, it's we already have that, bus. bro. It's a bus. I don't, we have that guy. So that <laughs> idea is very annoying to me. And I also feel like, I, I think, I can't remember if it was maybe Marlon saying like they were losing money. Yeah. It's also, we don't know, like we have no idea any of the data really behind how Netflix is doing, whether this is a good business move, like, it seems like a good business yeah. move from the outside, but they're so opaque in terms of data. Like we have no idea. So I, I'm a little bit annoyed by that too, where I would actually like to just mm -hmm. judge for myself if this is a good idea. So please release a report so I can read it because that's who I am. But the, you won't. You're just going to be like, yeah. oh my God, look at this cool thing we're doing. I was like, I'm so like, sorry. You want girl. That's just marketing. You want transparency? I'm so I'm sorry. A you can't. I'm journalist. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How dare. A whole journalist showed up in here. How dare. How dare you. Okay, we are going to switch gears, guys. I want to switch gears to this. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Yo, my guy, just talking about you. Oh, they cooking a handsome for the lab coat, Dude, is that my mom? Are you at my house? Yeah, bro. Saw your ad on a bus stop, so I juked it to show your parents. How do you even know that? Me and your dad go way back. He gets his tires changed at my truck yard. Just me. Are you back in school? No, it's an ad campaign. Can you SML I got an honorarium. He's on honor roll? No, what? That is from the new Crave TV dramedy series, Late Bloomer. It stars popular Canadian YouTuber Just Meet Reina, a.k.a. Just Rain. He's, look, Just Meet is basically just playing himself here in the show. Jackson, what is the premise of Late Bloomer? I mean, I can give the elevator pitch in the time it takes to ride an elevator. Just Meet <laughs> is, I mean, just, sorry, Just Rain is Just Rain, and he's trying to make, you know, YouTube videos, TikTok videos get relevant. Yeah. Things aren't working as well as he, as he should. And... I, interesting thing is he's trying to like you know revolutionize what it means to be an influencer he wants to like yeah. get like meaningful stuff not a bunch of garbage out there but you know it's funny it's good it's kind of that 
a vibe that we see in so many of these character-driven stories where it's a little bit sad, but I think it's more funny than sad. We got to say, like, uh, Just Me, Raina, Just Rain, he's someone that we've known for some time, Stacey. Uh-huh. He was one of the first big influencers I can remember coming out of this country. When you watch the show, what stood out for you from Just Rain? So it's a lot more nuanced than what I expected based on what he was doing on YouTube. Like, Mm. I think the message on YouTube was a little bit more simple, not superficial necessarily, but just like there wasn't as much going on in terms of the ideas and the themes he was trying to explore. Yeah. Um, So I found this time the storytelling was like a lot more complex and the show has space to explore like contradictory ideas in a way that I don't think audiences like want or expect from YouTube. Um, at least when he was creating on the and, and in fact, that's not the premise of YouTube at all. Like the whole idea of a YouTube, yeah, a single yeah, YouTube video is like vibe, we explore one idea and not the other one, right? Yeah. 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 And I think that's like, I, I agree. It is very funny. I really like it, but it's yeah. like a bit darker and a bit heavier. And I, I think that's very 2024, actually. <laughs> I totally agree. It's a theme. I did not, uh, I did not anticipate wanting heavier themes from Just Rain, but I think he's very deft to sort of handling these. Marlon, you know Just Rain. You know Just Rain from your own time as a comedian and content creator. What was it like seeing him go from the YouTube realm to the scripted television realm? Yeah, I, I've known Just Rain for a while. He's he's so talented. I feel like this was just a natural progression for him. Yeah. Um, I, too, am a YouTuber, so I understand and was triggered uh, throughout this entire thing. <laughs> um, I hope you had a safe space. I, I, I did. I did. I did. The washroom. Um, I, uh, I, I was throwing up, actually. Oh, but, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's, it's, it's a very true-to-life uh, story, and especially, like, hearing him speak about why he made the show yeah it's almost biographical like you you can see how he's playing out everything all of his frustrations yeah um that he's had in real life stemming from youtube so right i I love it because he's working through you know becoming a significant influencer um on the platform and then realizing that there are limits to the form there are limits to what 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 youtube will let you do and there are limits to the expectations of audiences (laughs) and i I think it's important to talk about this we've seen online creators make this leap from traditional to tell to traditional television Mm-hmm. I think with varying levels of success, right? We're talking about like Issa yeah. Rae, uh, Z-Way, Lily Singh. More more recently, there's been these reports that Mr. Beast is in the middle of negotiating a giant deal with Amazon Prime, which like I don't know who wants to go to Amazon Prime to watch Mr. Beast, but it certainly <laughs> is not this guy. It's going to be millions of people, man. Well, I know, I know, but that's the thing. <laughs> but, and I think that's frustrating because like from the outside, I think so, the question is, why would these online creators want to make the sleep in the first place? Like Just Rain is someone who walked away from YouTube five years ago. He has not returned since. I want to play you guys this clip of him on the Random Order podcast. Here he is explaining why he felt he had to leave. The way I'm doing stuff on YouTube, this is not going to be the the medium for the stories that I want to tell. Mm-hmm. I, I just can't do it here because it's like you, once you become known as like one type of person or one type of artist, that mm-hmm. also so, is another trap. Yeah. And like everybody's growing up. Yeah. Like with, that, yeah. with, with yeah. us, <laughs> we were young when we started. Everyone is growing up with us. Yeah. Right. Uh, Marlon, what Just Rain is saying there is interesting to me because he seems to be saying that YouTube, you know, as, 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 as he sees it as almost like 
how a teen star might view Nickelodeon or like Disney, you know, like the way that like like Miley talks about, you know, Hannah Montana. Like it, it's like a platform. You get a fan base, but eventually you outgrow it and you got to start talking in a different way, you know, and you got to figure out whether I got to keep growing or bring this home base with me or just go do something else. What do you make of what he's saying in that clip there? Once again, very angering Trippay triggering. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. I, I, too, stopped using YouTube about five years ago on a consistent basis. Um, yeah. And it's mostly to do with a series of events. So they had Adpocalypse, which was years and years and years ago, where advertisers realized that their ads are playing on videos that they would not want their ads to be playing on, right? Yeah. And so Walmart, who was the biggest funder, pulled out. And as a result, it was a domino effect. Tons of advertisers pulled out. I an saw my own pay. If you will. Yes. An adpocalypse. I saw my own pay go 70% down. Right. Wow. So I'm making 30% wow. of what I used to make. Yeah. And that's not feasible. Right. If you want to make this a, a sustainable job, yeah. it's very, um, it's very, uh, perplexing walking sure. on the streets and taking pictures and signing babies and you're, you <laughs> just random babies foreheads. and you can't pay rent yes. like that's uh, a very uh, conflicting yeah. idea very conflicting thing and then when the ad thing got figured out then all of these restrictions came into play you couldn't put certain things in the thumbnail you couldn't put certain things in the title you couldn't say certain things within the first five ten minutes of a video so it's varying rules that are not set in stone that are applied whenever they feel like it yeah that leaves you with a sense of oh i don't control my destiny on here mm. i can't speak and be myself fully yeah. and maintain an audience while also paying my bills and so you're seeing a lot more digital artists go to in real life Everything in real life is way more sustainable because <laughs> what's happening on digital you can get canceled tomorrow yeah there goes your entire, goes like your you, entire have, you can have a staff, you can have everything. And now that's all gone because one wrong tweet or, you know, one wrong thing said. So I think it's more uh, sustainable, like I said. I love that phrase. Space. I love that phrase at real life because like you're a radio host now. You know what I mean? Like that's like you're <laughs> yeah. like you came all the way to real life. And I love that. Yeah. Phrase. Uh, Jackson, what do you think about what do you think about what just Ray was saying there? I mean, I mean, exactly the same thing as Marlon was like there's i think a hierarchy in everyone's brains it ties back to what netflix was doing they're trying to get all these awards and stuff and be seen as it was as good as theatrical releases in tv and they didn't realize until way later it's like oh wait we don't actually care about this we just want money but like <laughs> even if you're a youtube creator this is hierarchy you yeah. want to go to the place where we make the good art and that's in yeah. a lot of our brains tv and you mentioned a lot of other creators that have done a similar thing uh lily singh and z-way and even mr beast in the future which is something that's happened they made the jump from youtube to to tv easter a little bit of a special case but mostly it's kind of reality tv sure i think this is more in line with you know not good but similar sort of show haters back off miranda, uh, miranda sings yeah um or actually good way back in the past criminally underseen zach stone is going to be famous from bo burnham the, the best thing but these are shows that are yeah. about what it's like to be a creator and it's an indictment of influencer mindset culture filming yourself that shows about a kid who gets uh, money to spend on his college tuition instead hires a film crew to follow him around and film all of his activities and he's just a failure of a person but yeah that's bo burnham like as an indictment on what it means to be a creator 
and it's intelligent it's interesting and it's on a tv space where you can kind of do those things you do see interesting shows on youtube but not as often and i think that's what just rain kind of has yeah. in this show he talks about it he has indictments against youtube against influencer culture against social media and i think that's just it, it makes sense that that's why that's where he wants to tell that kind of story and it's way more risky that's true. Yeah. That's he's take, he's taking a lot of risk here. Stacy, actually, I do want to close by maybe bringing it back to late boom, bloomer. We got maybe like a minute left here, but in the last few years, we've but seen I have seven things I, to say. I know. Well, you got to say one of them. Uh, we've seen a few Canadian networks get behind some really noteworthy BIPOC programming from Kim's Convenience to sort of uh, Bria Mac gets a life. How do you think late bloomer holds up against these things that have come up? I think it definitely holds up, but I think it's doing something pretty different. Like, I mm. think a lot of times, not exclusively, yeah. but a lot of times the BIPOC programming that we get is in the sitcom realm. It's a little bit lighter, and this is not trying to be that at all. Again, like, to go back to the idea of it's very 2024, yeah. it feels, like, nuanced and complex and a little bit dark. And, like, we're laughing at the things that make us sad. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of Rami. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Yeah. It's, it's yes, like a it's a Rami Rami analogy. That's uh, perfect. Exploring culture and exploring religion and yes. how that ties into yes. what you do in an everyday life. I think it's right on par. And, it. and it's really intelligent yeah, about like what you're laughing at and who gets to laugh at what. I think like yeah. there's a yes. lot of really deliberate decisions made in that show. But you got to leave it there. But I appreciate you guys being here, Stacy Lee Kong, Jackson Weaver, Marlon Palmer. Thank you for being on the show today. This has been a delight. Thanks for having me. You guys thank are the best. You. Of course. Stacey Lee Kong is a culture critic and writes a weekly newsletter called Friday Things. Jackson Weaver is a reporter at the CBC's Entertainment Unit. And Marlon Palmer is a comedian, and he came to what what he calls real life. He's a host of a morning show on Flow 98.7 FM. Late Bloomer, by the way, is available on Crave TV. And you can catch my pal Tom Power talking to Just Meet Reina over on the Q podcast. I'm Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud, and you're listening to Commotion. Listen, before we go, I just I wanted to take a moment with you and say today's a big day for us here on the show, because today we've been on the air for a whole year. I feel extraordinarily lucky to get to do this, to spend time together every day and talk through some hilarious and thought-provoking and really complicated and sometimes sensitive stories. Look, at the core of the show is a simple premise that I really believe in, which is that the arts and entertainment and pop culture stories that we talk about are all actually windows into how we see our own stories. And that makes them lenses into how we see each other and relate to each other. When an entertainment story or a work of art resonates wildly, it widely, it is telling us something, I think, about the questions we're asking ourselves. Sometimes those questions are about AI and ownership. Sometimes they're about how our relationship to television is changing or how difficult it is for creators to make art in Canada. On this show, I'm really proud of the room we've made for different perspectives on these big questions. I'm grateful for the thoughtful voices who come on and deepen those perspectives. Honestly, honestly, I just wish you could sit in on the meetings of the brilliant and passionate producers who make the show every day. Because if you did, what you'd hear is curiosity and joy and a desire to translate these really big questions into a conversation that you'd enjoy listening to. I'm lucky to have them. I'm lucky to have you. So I want to thank you for spending the time with us every day. On behalf of the whole Commotion team, we're grateful for your time and your attention. My name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. And like always, I'll be here tomorrow. So if you'll be here, you know what? I think we should hang out then. What do you say? 
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.